On today's episode of AEW Express, Chris Jericho teaches us about ratings and demographics, Taz still overshadowing Brian Cage, and Kenny and Cody showing their heel sides. We got lots of news to get into. We're going to talk about the uh, the demographic stuff from last night. Uh, I'm going to, if you listened to the show last week, we're going to talk about Diamante and uh, the whole Twitter exchange that she was having uh, last week after her, uh, after the, I think it was only two women's matches on Dynamite last week, or sorry, on Fighter Fest uh, Part 2. Uh, she had things to say about that. And actually, she's going to find herself on Dynamite next week against Ivelisse, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, little bits uh, from the Twitterverse. I'm now on Twitter at the real A or sorry real AEW Express if you want to follow there post some stuff from time to time. Um, that's where I found out about the one bit we're going to talk about Jericho and Sebastian Bach. Uh, if you don't know who Sebastian Bach is, we'll talk about him and you'll understand uh, why uh, this might be AEW's uh, answer to SmackDown's uh, infamous now karaoke segment. But this might be this possibly could be the good version, and we'll talk about QT Marshall and. Uh, all the happenings last night on uh, Fight Fa uh, Fight for the Fallen. I almost called it Fighter Fest. Uh, it was which was a good, really good show. I think that was probably the strongest out of the all th all three of the specials was uh, Fight for the Fallen. I think Fighter Fest Part One was probably the second best, and then I think Fighter Fest Part Two is the weakest out of all the shows. I think they were all pretty good though. Um, but first, we'll recap what happened on AEW Dark. There was a little bit of stuff going on there. I didn't get to catch all of AEW Dark this week, but I got the I think I got the important parts. So first off, what we'll do is we'll get the results from Dark. We had uh, Roche Chanel and Diamante, uh, which, again, uh, let's do this right now. We'll talk about Diamante right now. I do apologize for what I said about Diamante last week. Uh, you know what? She's a little bulldog. Not the biggest uh, girl. She's a shorter shorter girl, and but damn, is she feisty. I was really pleased watching her match. Um, I didn't think she the partnership with Roche Chanel was uh, well thought out. I think it was kind of a bad... Uh, teaming but you know it is what it is it didn't work for me um but then again they were you know they were losing to the nightmare sisters so it kind of works you got a team that maybe shouldn't be together or doesn't work together against the team that's you know what i think they were three and zero before that now they're four and zero, and they actually ended up uh on the card for fight for the fallen uh so i do i do appreciate how dark is bringing up these different tag teams and different uh superstars we also had another tag team which we'd seen uh i think we've seen it for the first or second time i don't remember if there was a time but uh uh, Luthi, Luther and Ser Serpentico. Uh, it was the second time I think I've seen Serpentico in action. I think he had a match with Scorpio Sky last week. Uh, they t they uh, beat uh, Pineapple Pete and Brady Pierce. Uh, in a another okay match. It, again, these are just like building everything. I think there was a lot of back backlash against Luther in this match because it was he turned it more of into a comedy thing. I think uh, and people weren't too uh, pleased with that. I thought it was fun. Uh, I didn't see Marco Stunt beating uh, Michael Nakazawa, but I can only imagine. Uh, we had Sean Dean, Will Hobbs, and Joe Alonso uh, losing to the Dark Order. Ricky Starks beating Robert Anthony. Uh, Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon losing to Jurassic Express. And the main event uh, was actually for the FTW Championship. And there was actually some story development here, too. Uh, we had Brian Cage versus Brian Pillman Jr. We had uh, Brian Cage, obviously, uh, winning against Brian Pillman Jr. But uh, when Brian Cage came out, they did not mention that he was the FTW champion, and they didn't mention that, uh, even though it had been marketed this way, AEW's marketing it this way, um, they didn't, Justin Roberts didn't call out uh, the fact that it was for the FTW championship in the match. I thought that was kind of strange, um, just because they marketed it on Twitter and in social media, but then you get to the show and it's like, 
now you're not mentioning it and it's not an official title. Is it, is it what it is or is it not? I was talking to people on Twitter this week and if we couldn't make it sense of it, is it a championship? Is it not? I still say it's not. Um, but if you're going to make it not a championship that's recognized by AEW, I don't want you to see. I don't want to see it on social media. Um, I don't want to see it on like, oh, I don't. I, I don't want to use it to build a card. It should just kind of show up on the card. It should just be a match sort of thing, almost like the, uh, uh, almost like a, a different version of what the WWE does with the twenty four seven championship. Um, what I'd like to see is it comes on the show when you don't expect it, no matter who wins it. Uh, and then somebody challenges for it right out of the blue. You know, obviously these aren't, you know, 24-7 rules by any means, but if Brian Cage is the FTW champion and he's in the ring on Dynamite or a Dark, somebody can just come out and challenge him for it. Be like, hey, you know what? Let's put that FTW championship on the line. Yeah, I know this match isn't advertised, but let's put it on the line. You know, we get an advertised championship match almost every week with Cody defending that TNT championship in these great matches. That was actually the first match on Fight for the Fall, and we had Cody and Sonny Kiss. And it was exactly like I called it. I called it on Twitter. If you didn't know who Sonny Kiss was before, you know who Sonny Kiss is now. Um, I was a little confused in the, by the match, and that was uh, actually nothing on the part of uh, Sonny Kiss. It was actually Cody who confused the hell out of me in this match. He, It started with the push-ups in the match. He did. Uh, he started doing push-ups, and it was kind of like he was disrespecting Sonny. He wasn't taking Sonny seriously. And you could see Arn Anderson in the outside of the ring um, was getting openly frustrated at him because he wasn't taking it seriously. And then Cody was getting more and more frustrated as the match went on. At one point we saw him take off the belt. It looks like he wanted to, it looked like he wanted to hit Sonny kiss with the belt, you know, Cody's weight belt that he wears to the ring. And I'm like, that would, that's totally he a heel thing to do. Why would he do that? What, what's going on with Cody? And then eventually Cody did end up picking up the win, but there was a couple times there where I'm like, okay, I know why Sonny kiss is in this match. I know Sonny kiss is not going to win this match. They still got me a couple times. And I'm not saying Sonny Kiss isn't a big enough star, will not be a big enough star, and that's why I knew he wasn't going to win the match. I just knew now wasn't the time, and the story they're telling, it wasn't the time for Sonny Kiss to win that match. So, even though, it, but it got so close. They had me. They had me right on the edge, and I was like, damn it, they, they're going to actually, I thought they were going to do it at one point, even though I knew they weren't. It was it was a lot of fun, but the only problem, the, the one problem I had with the, the entire match was the fact that Cody shook Sonny's hand afterwards. I think Sonny should have gotten out of the ring. He should have been a little angry at Cody. You know, okay, that's great. I'm having this career-defining match with Cody, but you kind of treated me with disrespect at the beginning of the match, and yeah, you got intense at the end, but you still disrespected me a little bit. I didn't like that. You know, and it's like, is this a slow burn turn for Cody? Because Tully was watching this match. I have a hard time thinking Tully was watching, was scouting out Sonny Kiss for this match. Um, I think we all know that he's watching Cody, and I think that the the reason we know that is the connection between Tully and Arn. You know, Arn's the good guy manager. Tully's like that dark horse heel manager. Like what? What is he? He's scheming, and we saw him again uh, in the night. So. I, I'm interested now. What's going on with Cody? What's going on with that TNT championship? Is he going to, you know, is Tully cooking up something with Cody now? We've seen him watch guys like Hangman. We've seen him guys watch guys like FTR. Now he's watching Cody. Or you never know. Maybe he is watching Sonny Kiss. I'm just assuming Cody because of this whole Arden connection, but maybe he was watching Sonny Kiss, but that's the whole intrigue of this thing. It's almost like Tully Blanchard is Sting in 1997, except we know Tully's not going to actually fight, but he's telling a story without saying anything. He's just sitting down. 
I'm really enjoying that part of it. I also really enjoyed the match between uh, Lucha Brothers and the uh, FTR. I say the FTR, it's just FTR. Uh, they had a really fun match. Uh, it was a strange... I didn't expect the ending the way to, to, to go the way it did. Uh, let me just fix my microphone there for a second. I didn't expect the, the ending to go the way it did with uh, uh, Phoenix getting his mask ripped off by uh, Dax Harwood. As he was... It was a very smooth takeoff of the mask. Uh, he just kind of... It was, there was a really good match. I think it was about 10 minutes long. And then all of a sudden, it was just Phoenix went over like Dax or something. I don't know. But like his mask just popped off. Like Dax had just taken it off, rolled him up, got the pin. And that, it was almost as if they needed that to get Lucha Brothers out of the way. So the Young Bucks could come in and then take out Butcher and the Blade, who'd been watching the whole match. Uh, and then you got, of course, you got uh, Pepper Parks, uh, Braxton Sutter, the Butcher in there. He looks like Ringo Starr. He looks like a young Ringo Starr in that white and those glasses. And then they come out like, and the butcher. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, the butcher like reminded me of like uh, my civics high school teacher. He looked so pedestrian. He had like the big glasses, and like he didn't look dangerous at all. And I don't care if this guy's not in character at that point or not. If you're on TV, you're in character. Get in character. Just be a little more heinous looking. You can wear the white, even though I think it's a terrible look for them. Um, what kind of butcher wears white? Uh, but anyways, I guess I'll actually, you know what? I think all butchers wear white, but it's still a terrible design. still a terrible idea to wear white when you're dealing with, you know, butchering stuff. Anyways, not important, not here nor there. Um, but yeah, he didn't look terrifying at all. He kind of looked pedestrian and you shouldn't, why would you do that to the butcher? He should always look like he's, you know, going to about to just kill someone or something. So I, uh, that was my nitpick with them, but they got super kicked by the bucks. Uh, and then the Bucks grab the keys to the truck because, of course, the Butcher and the Blade have still been riding around in that truck, which looks a little too pristine, if you ask me, for being uh, driven around by a Butcher for the last couple weeks. I, I, I sh they should have like had they should have like put like some spray of like some blood spray on the uh, some blood spatter on the truck, and you know put some like fur and it on it, like make it look like they've been just butchering animals, going out and hunting, and just throwing them into the truck and not caring about what happens to the truck. Anyways. So the Bucks get the keys, they super kick uh, Butcher and the Blade, come out towards FTR, and then Kenny comes out um, to, it's like a peace offering. He comes out with a cooler, it's obviously got beer in it. Uh, I appreciated the fact, I appreciate the fact you can't show the Miller Lite logo on TV, um, but maybe wrap the can with like an AEW sort of uh, branding label because the black Sharpie didn't work that well. It was very still clearly Miller Lite, uh, but they gave it to Kenny Omega gave it to Dax and Cash and uh, they did not accept. They poured the beer on him and uh, this kind of set Kenny off, but that was a story that would play out later. So the next segment we had was Chris Jericho. He came out with the inner circle. Um, now this was a big segment this week. It's been a big topic of conversation because the last couple weeks, Tony Khan's been on uh, Twitter talking about how, yes, we have lost these uh, full-out ratings wars to NXT, and they, as they've been doing the Great American Bash, we've been doing Fighter Fest, but he's made the point of talking about this 18 to 49 demographic. Okay, so now Chris Jericho's basically, um, I think people are misunderstanding what Chris Jericho's doing here. Um, do I really want to hear about the 18 to 49 demographic ratings? No. But Chris Jericho's a heel. And Chris Jericho's thinking farther and quicker than a lot of us do. So last week I noticed on Twitter that Tony Khan was getting a lot of heat for talking about this 18 to 49 demographic. So all Chris Jericho's doing is saying, let me take that real life heat and apply it to my character now. I'll become the demo god. People will hate that. People don't want to hear about the demographic. If they do, that's great. Well, then he's, you're appealing to those people too. He's so far ahead of us, it's scary. 
Chris Jericho's a goddamn genius. There's a reason I named my dog Jericho. And this is the next evolution of Chris Jericho. And yeah, we're not, we're not accepting of it yet. Three months. Three months time, I give you. Everybody will be talking about the Demo God. He'll have a scarf with Demo God instead. Or maybe he'll have something completely else. Maybe he'll become a bandana guy. You know, maybe the Demo God uh, version of Chris Jericho is like kind of like, you know, the Bret Hart. The bandana. The five o'clock, not the five o'clock shadow, but like the kind of stubbly beard. You know, I, I think we've, we've, been, we've been having Le Champion Chris Jericho and AEW the whole time. You know, now it's like, okay, what's next? The inner circle, Chris Jericho's there. What's next for Chris Jericho? The demo god's next for Chris Jericho. You know, the Le Champion, the little bit of the bubbly, that went over so well. But I think a little bit that detracted from the Chris Jericho character because he's a heel. And I think he's finally found a character arc or a character trait that he that can really uh, piss some people off, for lack of a better phrase. Nobody's, everybody's saying, oh, I don't want to talk about demos. I don't want to hear about demos on my wrestling. Oh, you're not going to tune out because of it. He's not, like, using it. And, and in fact, he's using the ratings to, you know, build a rivalry with Orange Cassidy. He's saying that, like, I had my match with Orange Cassidy last week. I won. I'm still the star. If we want ratings, I need to be fighting everybody. I can't just be fighting Orange Cassidy. That guy's not going to be ratings. He can't beat me. That's the story we're telling here. And I think it's just going over some people's heads. Or maybe I'm just, maybe, or maybe I just, I'm just coming off like a pretentious asshole because I'm saying, oh, it's going over your heads. But that's how I think it's going. I think that Jericho doesn't want people to like this side of him. The, the side that talks about demographics. Because now he can get some actual heat. And it's hard to get heat for Chris Jericho. I think Chris Jericho might have the hardest time getting heat out of anybody in wrestling because of how long he's been around and how long he's been so effective. People just love Chris Jericho. Outside of changing his name, there's not much he can do to uh, be a heel other than take things he sees in real life actually happening, which is what AEW basically is. It's reality-based wrestling. And then apply that to his character. Apply the demo demographics to your character. People don't want to hear about it. You're here, you're seeing that a lot on Twitter. Boom. Put it into your character. You're listening. I apologize if the uh, audio has changed a couple times. I've just been moving the placement of my mic because I heard a couple pops and all that. But um, just so you, you know, just being transparent and all. Uh, so after the Jericho segment, we had, um, and also I should mention, of course I should mention, the segment ended in grand fashion uh, with Orange Cassidy coming out. Didn't say a word. Again, very Sting-like. Hit uh, thumb up, thumb down, very Batista-like. And orange juice came from the sky, and it was, I don't know if they had taped off, I'm assuming they taped off the part of the ring Jericho was supposed to stand on, because it was, like, directly on him. It, like, you could see it was, like, a stream just directly on his head. It splashed onto Hager and the uh, the rest of the inner circle. Uh, Santana and Ortiz, obviously, still have Sammy there, but it just, the way it dumped onto him and all of them, and, oh my god, Ortiz is a treasure. Uh, the way he sold it, just writhing around in it. Very Shane McMahon and uh, the beer uh, in the 90s. It was a lot of fun. I'm expecting that Jericho's going to get back at Orange Cassidy somehow and we'll set up a match from there. Um, the last time he beat up Orange Cassidy, he used the bag of oranges and just destroyed him. So, oh, I don't know what he's going to do next after this. I, I mean, if I'm Orange Cassidy, I probably, you know, find that box that Michael Cole used to live in and go live in there for a couple weeks. Because uh, Jericho's going to want something to do with you now. Woo! Uh, we saw Britt Baker in her uh, Rolls Royce there, in her little cart with her plexiglass house. Uh, 
Actually, that's what he should take. He should have taken Britt Baker's little plexiglass thing there. He should go live with her. Uh, and then, uh, they, I didn't really catch much on this. They're kind of losing me on this Britt Baker's Big Swole stuff right now. And I think that's just kind of part of the game when you're uh, going off of an angle that you can't have. You can't pay it off anytime soon until at least September I'm still hearing it all out. If the, you know, depending on what that show even becomes. Uh, but that's when we're paying it off. So there's going to be a couple lulls, and I think this might be one of them. Uh, it's good to see Brit on TV. Uh, they had Big Swole off of it. I guess she's still suspended. They're actually going through with the suspension. I don't appreciate the fact that they're continuity-wise. Uh, Nyla Rose did get suspended when she attacked a referee um, after a championship match with Riho. I think it was the one with Riho. Um, but Jake Hager's still on Dynamite, or Star Ant, still on AEW TV even though he attacked a referee after his TNT championship match. So that's a little inconsistent, the inconsistency that's bothering me. I get it. He's not wrestling, but he should be suspended altogether. Nyla Rose, we didn't see her on TV. Well, she was suspended. Why are we still seeing Jake Hager? Or maybe it's just me. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I don't care for Jake Hager's character. Because again, if you've been listening to the show for a little bit, boiled potato syndrome, he's got that. He's just got the personality of a potato, which has been boiled. Is it good for you? Yes. Is it nutritious? Yes. Do you want to eat it? Probably not. It tastes like nothing. So after the Jericho segment, we had the Elite versus Jurassic Express. This was my favorite match of the night. Uh, I really enjoyed Cage uh, and Moxley, but this was my favorite match of the night. Just everything going on. I had, I taped so many freaking, or I, you know, I took a video on my phone of so many of the moves. Uh, there was the mousetrap move, I called it. Uh, where I th it looked like basically like, I think it was Jungle Boy just threw Marco stunt and it just set a whole like, um, a whole set of events into a place kind of like when you played that game mousetrap when you know you'd hit like one button and like the cage would lower and this thing would happen and one thing out it would be like a domino effect it seemed like they threw marco and they just kept on doing stuff afterwards as as if they were playing that mousetrap game that's so i called it the mousetrap move uh there was the disgusting canadian destroyer um from the so they had that floor that runs even with the ring on the uh, the ramp so they went off from those stairs. Marco stunt launched and did a Canadian Destroyer onto Nick Jackson, I believe. I think that's how it went. Or did Marco stunt have the Canadian? I don't know. It was very quick and very devastating. And I was a little scared. I think it was on Nick, um, but I was terrified. Those the it's, Lately on AEW, it's like, who can do the most like dangerous looking Canadian Destroyer? I just don't want anybody to die on TV. That's all I want. I just don't want anybody to die on TV. Um, but eventually the uh, it came down to... A big story playing through this match was Kenny Omega versus Marco Stunt, oddly enough. Uh, Kenny, at first, uh, I think it was Jericho that pointed it out, because Jericho joined commentary in place of Taz um, uh, after the Jericho segment. Um, I should note that Tony Schiavone, he, his COVID test did not come in in time, I guess. Uh, so they kept him off TV just as a precaution. Um, but hopefully that comes back negative eventually and we find that out. Um, nothing on it yet, but ho here's hoping for it. Um, uh, this, yeah, so a big part of this match was Kenny Omega and, uh, Marco stunt, uh, Jericho made the point of saying that Kenny Omega doesn't take his opponent seriously if he has his shirt on, which I thought was really simple, but really effective of really just making a little story beat. And it's probably something him and Omega talked about before the match. He's like, I'll leave my shirt on and kind of toy with Marco and then, you know, tell that part. I really, really enjoyed that part of it. It really added just a, a tangible storytelling Prop, just being his shirt. Simple as that. I really enjoyed that. Um, but Marco Stunk started getting the best of Kenny Omega, and Kenny Omega got clearly visibly angry. He's had beer dumped, on, uh, beer dumped on him already. He's been humiliated that way, and now 
Marco Stunt, all five feet of him, is actually getting the better of Kenny Omega. So he just starts to get a little mad. And the impact, the chemistry those two have, I want to see just a full-out singles match between Kenny Omega and Marco Stunt. And I want to see Marco Stunt give them some decent offense, but I just loved watching Marco Stunt sell for Kenny Omega. Uh, again, I don't want anybody to die, and like Marco Stunt looks like he's dying every time Kenny hits a move because Kenny hits so hard. That V trigger to, you know, he, at one point, Kenny gets, Kenny's already pissed at this point. Marco rolls him up and almost freaking like gets him. And Kenny kicks out of it. Now Kenny's pissed. And the V trigger that Kenny connected with, I think that. If you're if I was watching as carefully as I was, and I've watched enough Kenny Omega matches, Kenny could have finished Marco after that V trigger. I don't think that Kenny turned heel when he attacked Marco's stunt after the match. I think Kenny turned heel when he hit that one-winged angel on Marco's stunt. He didn't need to hit that. That was pure anger and pure aggression. Kenny Ome and you know, he attacked Marco's stunt afterwards to make it, you know. Almost official that, yeah, I'm starting to go a little bad. I'm starting to crack and all that. I haven't had a lot of success over this whole AEW thing, and I'm starting to get a little pissed. I'm here helping everybody else. I get crapped on because of it on Twitter all the time. Like, they say, oh, you're running the women's division into the ground. Sorry, but I'm just doing what I can work with right now. Like, you know, I would love to see some of these freaking marks out there who are talking about, oh, Kenny Omega can't run a women's division. Oh, he, these stories are terrible. Oh, why are there more women wrestling? Okay. He's trying to build superstars. He's building up Penelope Ford. He's done that. He's built up Sheeta. He's built up Riho to a point. We, yes, we haven't seen Riho, but she's over in Japan right now, which makes sense. But he built up Riho. He's built up Nyla Rose. Because, again, you got to give it, if you're going to be giving crap for all the uh, downfalls of the women's division, Nyla Rose is a bright spot. So you got to give him credit for that, then, if you're going to give him crap for everything else the women's division going is going through. Britt Baker gets injured. Chris Statlander gets injured. Okay, yeah, it's hard to do it when every, you know, Think about it as if you're playing with action figures and you got all your female action figures, you're playing with them in one break. It's like, okay, well, I really wanted to play with that one, but I'll put her to the side until I can fix her up or until she, you know, until she gets healed up in this case. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put somebody else in that place, but you know, it's, it does suck. And then another toy gets broken. Okay. Now it's just like, okay, well, uh, now my original idea has gone out the window to begin with. So I don't have to come start all from scratch. And that happened basically twice for Kenny. And I should note that I'm not trying to dehumanize anybody by saying action figures, uh, saying, oh, treat them like action figures or anything like that. No, I, I think action figures are just kind of in my subconscious from all the AEW action figures uh, commercials I'm seeing and probably the money I'll be spending on the actual action figures when they come out. So just to clear that up. But like I was saying, you know, Britt Baker goes down with the injury and then Chris Statlander goes down with an injury. So he's kind of probably had to restart from scratch twice. And personally, I actually really like what's going on with the women's division. I like the fact that they're building an angle between uh, a superstar who may not be able to wrestle right now, but they're showing character, and they're showing the character of, you know, Britt Baker and Big Swole. They're showing characters of uh, Sheeta. Sheeta's getting better every week, and, you know, they're building her up as this big fighting champion. It's it's a little repetitive because you have Moxley as this big fighting champion, but they're very clearly different, uh, so that that's okay. Uh, but... There are stories being told with women, and it's hard to do it because you have to restart all the time because it, there's injuries happen and a pandemic happens. You know, we didn't. I didn't even mention that, but there's there's a pandemic happening. You know, some of the you know we haven't seen. Um, oh, let me see if I can remember her name. Ooh. Um, uh, oh shoot. Uh, Sakazaki. I think one of the girls was her last name was Sakazaki. I can't remember her first name right now off the top of my head. Yuka Sakazaki. We haven't seen her in 
weeks, and it's probably because she's stuck in Japan. She can't get over to the States right now. And people loved her. So I think until things get a little back to normal, we need to just lay off and like really appreciate what Kenny's going to do now because I think he's going to take a lot of that... Um, he might have some harbored feelings over the all this crap he's heard about himself. Maybe he's going to take that out on, you know, on this story. And I'd really like to see that. I'd like to see a little bit of the inside of Kenny come out and just be like, you know, you guys are giving me crap all this time. I'm, I have to go back to my dark side. I have to go back to the cleaner to regain the respect of the crowd who lo- I lost. It's almost like the Seth Rollins angle on WWE, but without the um, religious undertones, I guess. I mean, Kenny's offense is so stiff and hits it, he hits so hard that I don't think it would be tough to um, really make some creative ways to really hurt some of his fellow competitors and some people he's tagged with. Maybe he turns on Michael Nakazawa. And, you know, the way he hits, Michael Nakazawa could sell that so easily and it would be so effective. He could turn on the Bucks. He could turn on Cody and win the TNT Championship. Who knows? I think there's more of a potential right now for a heel Kenny Omega than a face Kenny Omega. Because a face Kenny Omega, we get mad at because the women's division's suffering. But a heel Kenny Omega would do interesting things on TV and we wouldn't think about it as much. So I think this is good for the fans and I think this is good for Kenny. If this is a fully-fledged heel turn. They didn't really make that clear. So if it isn't, I guess this whole point's moot. But eh, what the hell, what do you know? We then had the Nightmare Sisters versus Kenzie Page and MJ Jenkins. Um, not much with not much with this. Uh, Dustin came out with them. He was wearing uh, white and red paint as opposed to the black and red, which makes me think is maybe he's there's a brighter side of his personality coming out now. Maybe we might see another uh, character uh, development for Dustin, or it could be nothing. He could just maybe just want to do white that night, or you know, yes, yesterday. I don't know. Uh, but Nightmare Sisters get the win here. There's obvious tension between them. They've built this up on Dark. I think that. They don't exactly introduce them, their new characters to their audience traditionally. They kind of, uh, they'll build up characters on Dark and just kind of throw them out on Dynamite. Um, I think that's good. I like that. It's kind of like, it's almost like, I was thinking about it the other day, and I said, I think I tweeted it out that AEW Dark is unlike anything else we've seen in wrestling in a long time because of the, the different people we're seeing in it. And the develop it, the development that's happening in it. So we developed the, the Nightmare Sisters in AEW Dark. I'm like, where else are we doing that? And I, I tweeted it out. I'm like, I think it's the most unique wrestling in the world right now because nowhere else is doing it. But the only place I can think of that's comparable, it's not televised or not broadcasted at all, I don't think. I'm like 98% sure it's not. And that's the NXT house show loop when they're in Florida. Uh, they, they have a lot of different people having matches there. You know, these would be shows that right now, if there was an NXT house loop going on right now, your headliner's probably a guy like Bronson Reed. And so you get to see those undercard guys who don't get on NXT TV all the time, much like the way we see AEW Dark. So I think that might be something that WWE wants to look at going forward even, is uh, starting to maybe make like a network special of a weekly NXT house loop show when they get back to doing house shows. I think it'd be kind of cool, actually. It would be WWE's take on AEW Dark, maybe. I don't know. Again, this is an, an AEW podcast, so I'm not usually one to make WWE comments, but like, that's the one thing I thought of this week after I tweeted out, oh, there's nothing like AEW Dark. I'm like, the NXT house show loop might be close. Anyways, getting off topic a little bit. Nightmare Sisters get the win here, obviously. Uh, Kenzie Page and MJ Jenkins, these are people who are still uh, working matches on Dark, who still need some more development, I think. Um, MJ Jenkins has a great look. I just want to learn more about her. Uh, Kenzie Page, I'd like to see a little... I don't like the gear, to be honest, if I'm just, you know, being straight up. 
Uh, after that, though, we had Nyla. She uh, was finally going to reveal her manager, but she came out. She kind of did like a tease, like she wasn't going to tell us who the manager was and make us wait another week. I was like, really? You're not going to do that. But then she said, I'll just let her introduce themselves. Well, I say her. She didn't say her. I will let them introduce themselves. And it was uh, Vicky. Vicky Guerrero is going to be, looks like she's going to be full time on AEW with uh, Nyla Rose. Um, I like this. I think there was a lot. You could have done a lot worse. That's for sure. Uh, my call was Malenko, but that was kind of just me making a haphazard guess on Twitter. Um, I wouldn't have made much sense. Um, but she was talking about champions and like, okay, Vicky never actually won a championship. I don't think that she, unless I'm misremembering something and Vicky won like a divas championship. But so I was a little, I thought that was a little inconsistent, but I think Vicky, if, if Vicky was able to, uh, be uh, the heel she was in a uh, WWE, uh, I think there's no limit to what she could do in AEW where it's very, uh, hands-on and think of your own thing. And like, there's so many people there that can help Vicky with creative. And just tell her what to say and how to really piss off the audience. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, that led to our main event, I'm pretty sure. That was uh, the last thing we had until Moxley and uh, Cage. Uh, they did preview, however, the fact that uh, next week on Dynamite, we're going to get Jurassic Express uh, versus Chris Jericho and Hager. So Hager is going to have a match. There's no suspension. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Don't, don't suspend the boiled potato. Uh, Cody's going to defend the TNT Championship. We do not know yet. Um, hell, you know what? The way that AEW goes about things, they might have already said who's going to challenge for uh, the championship so far. So I'm just going to take a quick Google. Uh, Sunny Kiss talks about his TNG championship. And... No, okay, nothing yet. I was going to say, it might. they might have already have a challenger. It might be like, you know, it could have been Christopher Daniels. They just announced it. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that'd be cool. Christopher Daniels, Cody. I know it doesn't really, you know, it's Christopher Daniels. Christopher Daniels is already a made man. It wouldn't do much, much for him. But I think it's just the idea of having a Christopher Daniels uh, Cody match. Um, but if I'm going to take, okay, so, okay, so if we're taking a serious look at who Cody could take on for this AEW championship next week, um, we had Sunny Kiss this week. Last week we had, um, who did we have last? I think, I think it'd be cool if we brought Jeff Cobb back for one. You know, we've already had Jeff Cobb at AEW and I think everybody loved him. So I, I think it'd be great to have Jeff Cobb come back for one. Uh, earlier in the week, we heard uh, Raven. I think it's just a new news story just today. Uh, Raven was talking on a podcast, and he was saying Billy Corgan uh, is kind of disillusioned right now with a a NWA, and he might be looking to uh, shut down operations for NWA. AEW could scoop up that NWA championship, and you know what? They could bring in uh, Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis could come in. You could have that NWA championship as a part of AEW. They brought back the FTW championship. Why can't you bring back the NWA championship and now bring it to AEW? Especially if it's not going to be doing anything if they're shutting down MWA power, if Corgan's done with it. I know I don't want to see another person that's a tag team division who I know is not going to win the match, uh, have a match right now. Uh, I want the next match to be somebody who's a threat. And you know what? Maybe it's Kenny. Maybe Kenny comes out and says, give me a shot at it. Give it everybody shots at this thing. Frig, I want one. Everybody's talking crap about me anyways. I might as well have a belt. And maybe he beats Kenny. Maybe he beats Cody for it. Who knows? I think it'd be great the story that Kenny could try and tell with the TNT Championship. Even if you just do one program with Cody and he takes it for a bit and then Cody wins it back. I, I just want to see a story with Co uh, Kenny. Kenny hasn't had a really solid story that's that hasn't been in a tag team for months. And I think I'm ready for that again. But with that being said, we are going to move on to the main event. We had Brian Cage versus John Moxley. Uh, earlier in the night, we had had a, a promo from uh, Moxley talking about... Um, 
he brought up the Taz technique thing where Taz said he wouldn't be able to get the paradigm shift onto Brian Cage because his triceps were too, or I think it was his uh, deltoids were too big. It doesn't matter. But he said he was going to, you know, I already know what Brian Cage's weak spot is. It's those triceps. I'll take him out. You know, he's, I'm going to obliterate them and then, you know, he'll be done. So we have the match and it was back and forth for the most part. The story being that uh, Brian Cage was going to go after, you know, Brian Cage was going to take advantage of the fact that Moxley hadn't had a match in so long and he was rusty and Moxley was going to go after that arm. Uh, so, and Moxley definitely went after that arm. He was vicious. And the, a trend I'm noticing in wrestling right now is submission wrestling is very popular, um, but impactful submission wrestling. So it's that whole telling us, like, guys are now telling stories with submission moves in the moment. So, you know, you, it's that, that moment where you take the arm and you move it forward before you reef it back. And I'm really enjoying the way Moxley's doing a submission wrestling because he's doing it very punishingly like a guy like a Pete Dunne would do or Timothy Thatcher. He's, you know, he kind of goes forward and then he reefs back on it as hard as he can to make it look even worse. Is it hurting Brian Cage? Oh, I'm sure it is. But he's doing it so well. And I, I enjoy it so much. And this, the ending of this match was, again, I don't think anybody called this. Um, you could see that Taz was starting to get very concerned and Moxley's just tearing at this arm. He had him in a couple holds, and Taz, you could see him with that orange towel he had. He'd come up with the orange towel and thinking about it, and am I, I'm sitting at the TV being like, no, no, do not throw in that towel. Do not throw that. In. I didn't want him to throw in the towel. I just didn't want it. And he threw it in. Match was over, and I'm like, for fuck's sakes, I was kind of ticked off. I just wanted to see what happened. I wanted to see if Cage would tap out. I get it. You wanted to protect Cage, especially with what happened after. Um, but then Cage goes to attack uh Moxley, uh, it seemed like Cage was okay with the fact that Taz threw in the towel because I think he knew... I, I, I think they're going to build up Brian Cage as kind of being a sensible machine. Um, like, you know, they're saying, oh, he's a machine and all that. Uh, I should mention there was also a, a point in this match where I don't know if Brian Cage is actually okay. If we're going to see, a you know, anything going forward with Brian Cage. He did a moonsault and landed and he was really favoring his knee. They didn't talk about it on commentary. Uh, they kind of avoided it, but like you could see it was clearly bothering him. If that was a worked injury, they got me. Um, but hopefully it is because I really want to see what they do with uh, Darby Allen and Brian Cage, which kind of leads me to the end of the match, or sorry, the finish of the show, which was the lights going out after Brian Cage attacked John Moxley, Darby Allen coming in and attacking Cage because, of course, we know that Cage is the one that put Darby Allen out for these last, what, month, month and a half? Uh, so I really like the way that story came all together. And it made me think to myself, did the FTW championship, did Taz bring that in for Brian Cage or did Taz bring that in for a guy like Darby Allen who very much more uh, fits like an FTW sort of uh, moniker? You know, Darby's very, very against the grain, doesn't really care about what other people think. That FTW belt fits better on Darby than I think it fits on Brian Cage. And I think maybe that's why Taz brought in that belt. I think maybe he brought it in for Darby. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Darby win that belt off Brian Cage fairly soon. If not on like a main event of Dynamite, next, like at least a match on the next pay-per-view card or one of these Wednesday day specials they do or Wednesday night specials, I guess I should say. I think I said Wednesday day specials. Uh, but yeah, it was a really fun uh, episode of Fight for the Fallen, Dynamite, whatever you want to call it. I'm just, I say Dynamite just because it's, you know, consistent, but it was, a, the Fight for the Fallen was a really, really fun show. A um, lot of notes to take from away from it. A uh, lot of news happening this week in AEW. Of course, there's this whole thing going on with Tony Khan and the 18 to 49 demographic. Um, I didn't like it at first. I'll openly admit that I didn't really like the idea of talking about demographics on TV and stuff like that until I understood 
what exactly was going on, like I said earlier, it's Jericho. He's a heel. He's talking about something you don't want him to talk about. You'll get mad at him. You'll boo him. It's a simple uh, formula. I should also mention that they gave Sheeta a promo in here, and it was really well done. She didn't say much because uh, she's obviously still working on her English, but it was really, really well done. Good for you, Sheeta. Uh, we found out that Diamante and Ivelisse are going to have a match next week on Dynamite. Dynamite is actually Dynamite next week, uh, by the way. Uh, okay. Uh, I really want to see Diamante in the ring. Uh, there's apparently some people who are not happy about Ivelisse going back, uh, coming back to AEW. She's had a match on Dark before, but I don't know what's going on there. I didn't really delve deep enough into the Twitter hole to figure out what the problem is with that. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. So last week we had on SmackDown on Friday, last Friday we had the, the karaoke sing-off or whatever it was between Dana Brooke, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and um, and uh, Tamina. Yeah. One of those things don't belong in a karaoke contest. I'll leave that one up to you. So here's the deal. Chris Jericho had a conversation with Sebastian Bach, who used to be uh, the lead singer of a band called Skid Row. They're both rock and roll singers. That's, you know, that's part of their Chris Jericho's claim to fame. That is Sebastian Bach's claim to fame. They're rock and roll singers. Uh, so I think Jericho called out Bach, and then Bach said something about Jericho lip syncing, and Jericho said he's never lip synced, so they're going to have a sing-off. And the first thing I think of is they're going to do this on TV. I think they might do this on Dynamite. This might be like an underhanded stab at WWE for doing this karaoke SmackDown thing. If they do that, I'm okay with it because I think this will be hilarious. Um, I don't think there's any actual heat between Jericho and Bach, but if there is, hell, I'm okay with it. Uh, as for all the things that are being said about the uh, AEW women's division on Twitter, they only got, I think they only got five minutes last night, people are saying that on uh, on TV. just It's got to be a wait-and-see approach. I know right now it seems like they're not getting a lot of time and the whole thing is... Uh, male driven i don't think this is a sexist thing like they're just not putting women on tv it's not as easy to find marketable female wrestlers as it you know as people think and you know they got a lot but it's you know you have all these people and you have to figure out who you want to market and who's the most marketable and who will make the most money and who's the best return on investment that's the problem with running a business it takes time and i know we haven't seen a lot of women uh, new women coming up and becoming stars but again it's a slow build. We've built up Penelope Ford. We've built up Hikaru Shida. We've built up Nyla Rose. We've built up Riho, again, even though we haven't seen her lately. Um, we've built up uh, uh, Sakazaki. Again, I'm losing her first name, but people love her. We have the roster. It's just going to take some time in the world to get a little bit back to normal uh, to have these girls going at full capacity again. I do think it'll all come around. I don't think they're being left behind or anything like that. We will see a strong women's division in AEW. I think we'll even possibly see an AEW women's tag team division. Now, last bit of news we had this week was QT Marshall. Uh, I think on uh, Diamond Dallas Page came out and said he dealt with COVID and he had had it, I think, or either that or his wife did or his girlfriend, whatever, whatever he's got going on. Um, and he was pretty sure that QT Marshall uh, had contracted it. So we haven't seen QT Marshall probably in about three or four weeks. Um, you know, as long as he's getting better, hopefully, because we have like, you know, three or four weeks, it's a long time. Hopefully he ever, he's doing all right. Uh, but, you know, Ali's keeping his spirit alive on uh, AEW every week. As for what I want to see next week, I'd like to see Brody Lee come back next week, uh, see what else is going on with him and Colt Cabana. See if Colt Cabana's changed his mind about not joining the Dark Order. Maybe he's joined it now. I am looking forward to this Diamante Ivelisse match. I have, I have never I haven't seen a lot of Ivelisse. I don't think I've actually seen maybe any of Ivelisse. Uh, but now that I've seen Diamante, I'm looking forward to that match they're gonna have. Uh, like I said, I 
I think that any of the guys I listed would be great guys for Cody to have a match at, match with for the uh, TNT Championship. Uh, I just don't want to see another tag team guy. I just want to see a guy who might be able to do it. Scorpio Sky actually is a guy I'm thinking of that might be able to do it. They've been building him up on Dark as this new solo guy, and now he's not with SCU in the tag team division as much as he's uh, just in the single singles division. Build him up. That's a guy I'd like to see take the TNT Championship off of Cody, especially if he, goes, uh, if he keeps going down this heel road and maybe goes full out heel one day. Uh, I'd like to see it. Maybe, actually, that maybe you do a double turn. No, nah, it wouldn't work. Scorpio Sky's already a face. No, see, so just do a turn for heel or a turn for Cody. And then maybe you build up Scorpio Sky to be that guy who takes that TNT championship and the guy who, you know, TNT loves now and sort of thing. Just the same thing you're doing with Cody, just do it with Scorpio Sky once Cody kind of goes nuts. Because I, I think we're getting there. I think he's getting frustrated at this point. I'm not exactly worried about that because Cody always tells great stories, but I am a little perplexed to see what happens next with Cody. I see some backlash on Twitter over the main event scene, uh, what's going on with Brian Cage and John Moxley and now Darby Allen in the mix. Uh, I think it's a, the, the criticism's a little misplaced. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that they're telling a story kind of all the way around. You know, Darby got injured at the hands of Brian Cage in that, um, you know, the casino battle royal or whatever, the battle royal, whatever it was, uh, where Brian Cage won the number one contendership for this match uh, with Moxley. Of course, Darby Allen should attack him afterwards. You know, like this was supposed to be Brian Cage's moment. Brian Cage loses the match and now he gets attacked by the guy who he screwed out of that thing. It, you know, it's Brian Cage getting his comeuppance uh, from both angles. But the problem is the, uh, the final, you know, the not the final visual, but the the ending of the match wasn't in Brian Cage's control. It was Taz throwing in the towel. And it, for me, it's just we're still ignoring Brian Cage. And I just don't understand why we're doing that, because now Taz is literally... And now I'm thinking that's exactly what they want. I don't think this was about Brian Cage. I think this was about Taz. Why would they have Taz throw in the towel? Taz basically lost this match for Brian Cage. They didn't even let Taz, or Brian Cage lose the match on his own volition, or his own choice. So I think the story being told forward isn't going to be as much about Brian Cage as it is about Taz. It's almost as if Brian Cage is, like, wrestling for Taz. It's like Taz has hired a, a paid assailant or a paid assassin to take on guys for his thing because he still has that, that you know, that will. He wants to wrestle still. You can tell Taz would, if Taz could do it physically, I think he'd still be in there wrestling. He just can't do it physically anymore. And so he's got this intensity about being a manager that's overpowering. You know, it might not be overpowering to a guy who's got like, you know, limitless amounts of charisma and he could talk all day. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't affect a guy like The Rock. But Brian Cage isn't The Rock. Brian Cage isn't like a Kurt Angle where he's got like, you know, Kurt Angle had all the personality in the world. Brian Cage is still kind of figuring out his, you know, his character, I think. And until then, Taz is going to overshadow anybody who hasn't discovered their character. Brian Cage has only been on TV, on our TVs for a couple weeks on AEW. He's been on TV other places like on Impact and stuff like that, but this is a bigger stage than that. You know, he's on one side of the Wednesday Night Wars now. This is something that's going to go down in history. And he's still trying to find his, you know, his, his shtick in a way. And that's why over, Taz is overpowering. And I think it's, it's by design at this point. Early off in the thing, I thought, okay, maybe they're just doing this wrong. But they kept on going with it. And now, you know, Taz was the focus the whole time. So. Darby Allen might have attacked Cage. But I think 
this is going to be very... I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the promos between Darby Allen and Taz. So, I'm just going to go with what they're giving me. Yeah, they're giving me Taz kind of being the puppet master for Brian Cage in a way. Uh, just from a promo point of view. But it's obvious that's what they want me to watch. That's what they want me to see. So I'm just going to let them see where this story takes us. But it's going to do it for us today on the AEW Express. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, went off on a lot of tangents. I'm still learning how I want to format this show. I think I like the idea of recapping AEW Dark, AEW Dynamite, and then talking about some of the big news stories that have been coming off of social media in AEW. I kind of like that. If you like the way the format this show was formatted today, let me know. Uh, yeah, it would just help. You know, letting me know how we should format the show going forward. You can get a hold of me at Real AEW Express on Twitter. Um, you can get the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and a whole bunch of other stuff too. So just uh, search AE the AEW Express on your um, on your uh, mobile device on whatever podcast service you uh, use, and uh, see if it's there. I want to thank you. Although uh, this is a very new journey, still we're only about eight weeks in. Uh, I've been doing this podcast, but. I'm starting to see a little bit of a groundswell on Twitter. Um, I'm just really enjoying doing this, and I haven't done anything like it before. I haven't stuck with a podcast as long before. I think I've started like tried to start like three podcasts before, but I never stuck with it. Uh, this is the only one I've ever stuck with, um, so I'm pretty happy about that. And I'm still figuring out what I want to do with it and what I like. Um, but it would help, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you want to uh, help mold an AEW podcast into exactly what you want it to be. Uh, tell me. I'm up for ideas. I'm up for suggestions. Things I can do differently. Maybe I'll like the ideas. Maybe I won't. But I'll definitely give them a thought. Uh, you know, nobody's ideas. You know, my ideas are no better than anybody else's. And this podcast I'm doing is for people who love AEW. And I really want them to have a podcast they can listen to every Thursday and be like, hey, watch Dynamite. Now I got my after show. It might not be the official after show. It might be the unofficial after show of Dynamite. We might cover some news too, but still. Uh, you know, I like to think we're going to have some fun here. So, like I said, thanks for listening to this week. Again, you can catch us on at RealAWExpress on Twitter. Ask us any questions there, and you never know. You might get brought up on the podcast. Until next week, guys, I'll see you.